Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. Joining me today is Ms. Shania Kirkland, an agile and resourceful business partner, attorney, champion, and change agent. Shania Kirkland offers an uncommon blend of legal and operational expertise in global marketing, privacy, commercial contracts, global technology, regulatory compliance, and diversity and inclusion. Shania quietly earns trust at all levels and is accomplished in managing sensitive matters, building consensus, and navigating ambiguity to foster organizational resiliency. Shania is more than an attorney. She is an organizational strategist committed to delivering results in ramp-up, turnaround, and high-growth environments. Shania and I talked all things promotion. Being a leader means dealing with uncertainty head-on. Change is inevitable, and so embracing it as opposed to fearing it or running away from it is really going to maximize my joy and sanity. Managing by the numbers is critical, and so is an effective mindset. So with respect to how my scope has grown and how I'm managing, in large part, it's about being incredibly strategic and establishing very firm boundaries. Ms. Shania Kirkland, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Carmen. I am such a fan of this show and for and a fan of your work, as I've mentioned to you many times. So it's such an honor to be here. I was so proud to see you've been promoted to vice president at Vonage. Congratulations. Thank you. Carmen. <laughs> I must say, I must say that um, I have to sit with that every time I hear it. I'm remind, it's almost like reminding myself, oh, wow, that really did happen. It was a goal that has been a long time in the making, and I am absolutely thrilled and, and really excited about it. So, you know, I was sitting there thinking, this is amazing. Shania didn't mention any of this to me. I just have to learn about it on social. So many women don't don't get this acknowledgement. And so I'm just so glad we have some time today to talk all things promotion, like for real promotion. Tell me about what really happened as you rose through the ranks. Sure. Well, I started at Vonage. I guess let, let me just take you back a little bit, Dr. Yes, Thomas. please. Okay. Take me way back. <laughs> I'll take you, I'll take you all the way back. So um, I, I've been practicing law for over 20 years and I started in a large law firm. I quickly realized that I, that what would work best for me is to be embedded with the, a business team and to really support a business team and their goals. And as I reflect back on that now, that is something that drives me. So I'm glad that I realized that early in my career in order to set myself up for success, to really get embedded with one company as opposed to supporting many different companies. And so um, I've worked with a number of different companies over the years, including the Coca-Cola company, Sony Mobile, and other large companies. I started uh, as an attorney with Vonage uh, a little over seven years ago, and my area of responsibility has grown over time. Um, so as I reflect back, I, I started where, and I was responsible, the lawyer responsible for business marketing. And soon that grew to global marketing. And then it grew so and grew and grew. So now I lead legal support for global marketing, global human resources, global business development, global procurement, and the global carrier team. 
So that's five large areas of the company. And I've had to grow, I've grown a lot as an attorney in that time. And I've also grown a lot as a leader and as a mentor. Um, And it's really one thing that I'm particularly excited about in this role as VP is being able to set others up for success so that there is a pipeline of people that are following me. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad someone's paying attention to the pipeline, but let's go back. Let's go back to, and then it grew and it grew and my scope of work increased. Okay. So clearly you assumed responsibility for these areas. Clearly your capability was acknowledged and recognized. And did you do it all yourself or you have a big team behind you? Like all of a sudden you're globally marketing? (laughs) Well, that is a great question, Dr. Carmen. So I have, um, we, you know, legal teams are not revenue generating, they're cost centers. So growing your legal team is not something that is always a a priority because it's not bringing in dollars. So, um, and also as companies grow, it's just not uh, generally not realistic that they're going to scale their legal team with respect to their growth. So what I've learned, and I think this has really been helpful for me in my growth as a leader and the legal team, is that, of course, delivering excellent work product is critical. But what is also, I would say, equally critical is being incredibly thoughtful about data and making strategic decisions about organizational effectiveness. So, for example, when I started, I was actually just looking at metrics that I shared with our chief legal officer about our marketing marketing team, which is where I started leading legal support. And um, I track data very closely. So over the past five years, I was just looking at data for the past five years. And five years ago, we had, I don't know, um, seven, I recall 700 pieces of marketing collateral that came through for legal review. That's just, um, that's sweepstakes, that's, you know, uh, pieces of content that are going to be facing the public, 700. Now that doesn't include contracts, it doesn't include many, many, many other things. Um, over Over the course of the past five years, I realized that we do not have the bandwidth, nor is it really practical for the legal team to see every piece of content. Really what we need to do is to empower our marketing team with training, with um, automation, with checklists, with processes so that they can be more agile and to set them up for success. So um, as I look back over the past uh, over the past five years, the number of pieces of content that came through for legal review went down by 333 percent. Now that was necessary because it's really important that I and my team focus our time on the things that are legally strategic as opposed to the things that are rote. But they don't teach you that in law school. So it really comes down to looking at, let me think through a process flow so that the things that are not critical for me to see are going to other places, but they're also being addressed properly with the proper compliance mechanisms in mind. So having done what that, a treasure you must be, Shania. <laughs> that's amazing. Just one businesswoman to another. That's amazing. <laughs> so with respect to you know, did that with marketing and doing that with these other areas of the business. And I will say, Dr. Carmen, there are times where I think to myself, how in the world 
am I going to do this? How in the world are we going to orchestrate this? How are we going to create an architecture that makes sense, that formalizes legal compliance, but that also is practical with respect to juggling, you know, ever-changing priorities? And um, so with respect to how my scope has grown and how I'm managing in large part, it's about being incredibly strategic, being very, very adept and learning how to create processes and establishing very firm boundaries. From the uh, from the outside looking in, what it sounds like to me that you just said is, so listen, I'm a, you know, I'm a cost center for a business, legal Legal is a cost center for a business, and I think very few people understand themselves to be a cost center. That in the P and L, they're part of the L, right? Right. <laughs> Even though they're delivering value on the sheet, they're part of an L. You're right. Right. I don't think that we all realize that, that um, even though we want to invest in talent and we want our workforces to be well, we want to be well. Um, I don't think we understand that we need to return on our the investment that's given to us by a company. And so I love it that you already... Um, you you did that intuitively, it sounds like, even though you're so numbers-driven. And then to your point on being numbers-driven, managing by the numbers isn't something young women are taught when we drop out of math and science. So how did you come to really enjoy data? Why doesn't it scare you? That That's an excellent question. And I will say, I am I am part of that statistic that you just mentioned. Oh, no. No, I am. I am that person who decided pretty early on, oh, I don't think math is my thing. But what I've had to realize over the years is that change is inevitable. And so embracing it, as opposed to fearing it or running away from it, is really going to bring me the most joy, maximize my joy and sanity. And I've also realized leaning in on things that make me feel uncomfortable is really what's going to drive me um, and produce uh, personal and professional growth. So that whole data-driven stuff, it made me twitch at the beginning. It was not anything I really wanted to do, but I forced myself to do it. And um, and it has really, it, it, it has paid off in spades. You know, I think it's also important to mention for young women in particular and for, for professional women who work in areas that are cost centers, it is also critical to be able to speak to your value, not only in a narrative type of form. What I, I um, a few years ago, I got in the habit of every quarter, at the end of every quarter, writing my accomplishments for the quarter. Oh, I love that. We promote uh, writing down your wins. So yay, I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So then at the end of the year, you look back at all the things that you've done, and you're better able to write a self-assessment as you're thinking, you know, with respect to your, your, what you've done in the year. Um, But in addition, when you are, as when you're part of a cost center, it's important to be able to demonstrate how you've added value. So, for example, I started in 2021 leading legal support for the business development team, which basically is like a team that leads, um, handles strategic partnerships, really bespoke kind of relationships. And I, I began thinking pretty quickly, okay, how am I going to demonstrate value? 
Well, what I did was I asked the business leaders, what, is, what are your goals, your corporate goals for the year? I tracked their corporate goals and I made sure that my team did everything we could to set them up for success. So wow. for as I looked at their, at the end of the year, I reflect on what our team did. Um, the business development team delivered 200% of their goal. And that wow. when we tracked the number of contracts that contributed to that, that was, you know, 180% over goal. And the amount of revenue that was generated, I can speak to revenue and everything off the top of my head, because what do they say? If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Right. So let me go back again to a few minutes ago, you said, you know, I'm going to create these processes and procedures so less of these materials land in my desk, Mm -hmm. which sounds like working yourself out of a job. And one of the reasons that resonates with me is that's what I try to do as a physician. Mm -hmm. I try to work myself to wellness, which means you don't need me anymore because you're not ill. I love that. Absolutely. Right. So it's counterintuitive because, uh, why we don't want people to need us, right? And yet it contributes to success. Weird, paradoxical. <laughs> Very much so, but it's true. And the other thing about it is when you, we know that when you contribute to people's success and when they, real, when they really, really feel that you are on their team and driving them to where they want to be, even if they don't need you in the same way, they will always come to you as a resource they will always value you and they will support you in whatever you need. So similarly, Dr. Carmen, I'm trying to set my clients up. I even thought about this, the same thing. Gosh, I'm, is it, am I working myself out of a job? Well, clearly I'm not because when <laughs> my, my area of expertise grows, it's like, okay, you did that. Let's give you this. But I'm not complaining. <laughs> it's great. And you're making it look good, too. Really? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, the other thing about speaking to your value, being able to speak to your value. Okay. One of the things we do in clinic is an assessment that tells us where you are. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of your program, usually it's about a year, uh, we, we go back to that first assessment. And what's really funny is no one remembers being that person that was on the page, you know, a year later, everyone forgets what happened. It just seems like it flowed and it was so easy, right? So I hear you saying, wait, hey, at first we started here and now we are here and making sure that you documented that so that you can remind everyone is, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you hit the, no, the, the nail on the head. And um, when you look back, it's really, it seems like a lifetime ago. Um, when you look back and you and or for you, when you're when your patients look back and they think and they realize how far they come, they've come. But it also is inspiring because you think about, OK, I've done all that. Wow. Well, what am I going to do next? And I would imagine that you have patients who are doing things physically that they never thought that they would do. And um, I certainly have clients that have grown professionally and have been able to put feathers in their cap because I have trained them up, if you will, with respect to an area like privacy or some things that make most people want to run in the other direction. So it's really exciting. You're leaving tangible skills and knowledge behind you. And instead of them not needing you anymore, they keep going, you know, and and the company is able to expand as a result. 
Um, it's so that's so cool. And one of the other really cool things that you're doing is speaking to your audience. So you adapted to speak to me when I, you know, made the connection between what we do together so that I can better understand what you do. But you're also telling me how you think about kind of these different contingencies and what they are looking for when they're looking at their bottom line and to, to see that they do twice their goal in terms of revenue rather than what they thought they could do is uh, so neat that, you know, they're revenue driven. So you're speaking to that. It's so interesting. Did you learn to do that or you're just like that as a leader? Well, that is not intuitive for me. I absolutely did not learn to do that like in law school. <laughs> but these are some of the things that I've learned as being um, a business leader. Um, you know, probably about five years ago, I set a goal for myself. The, the person that I mentioned who decided early, many years ago that I didn't like math, I set a goal for myself that, you know what? I, you are going to get very comfortable with looking at a PL. You are going to get very comfortable with memorizing, really, really being in the weeds as it pertains to revenue goals and and um, the actualization, if you will. And and doing that has helped me as an attorney because it allows me to be more strategic as I'm thinking about prioritization, as I'm thinking about, as I'm advising on how we should structure and create an architecture for a deal or an area of the business. Um, so, you know, I think part of part of this, all of this, is um, recognizing that being uncomfortable and doing something that you you really never it doesn't necessarily feel good um, that can benefit you. Kind of like working out. Like when you first get started. <laughs> right. It's exactly like that. Yeah. It does not. It, it is really just the perseverance. And OK, I said I was going to do this. I told myself I was going to do this. So I'm going to do it and be accountable and honor my commitment to myself. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, gosh, I that feels really good. So yeah, it's strengthening a muscle, but it's a, a different kind of muscle. Do you mind telling us how did you become more comfortable? I, I understand that you basically just disciplined yourself to look at things that made you uncomfortable because you underlying that is the value of growing, mm -hmm. growing both personally and professionally. Um, and if you're not a little bit uncomfortable, you're not strengthening a muscle, mm -hmm. right? But how did you actually look at the numbers and did you teach yourself after really hating math or just <laughs> saying it's not your thing? Or did you take a course or how do we, how do we find our way when we're not comfortable? That's a great question. So I, I have attended a number of different seminars. There is a great uh, annual uh, work. It's not a workshop. It's an annual conference called, um, the Women of Color, it's a, it's a conference for corporate council women of color. And one mm. of the things that they, that I remember attending my first time was a boot camp for corporate lawyers, for, for women of color who are corporate lawyers, all about the business and the numbers. And I remember learning there from, you know, some of the veteran attorneys who were doing, who were really, really advancing that, it's very, very critical. And I remember one attorney saying, this is not something that I'm comfortable with, but I learned to get comfortable. And that was uh, the spark that, uh, the, that created the idea for me. So since that time, getting entrenched in business meetings that don't necessarily need my legal advice, but it, it gives me a different lens and different information. And then just putting my reading books and, and 
taking opportunities to explore those kind of resources. When I read biographies of leaders, it always seems to me that key relationships are part of the rise to the top. Mm-hmm. And we haven't mentioned that at all. We're talking about you embracing change, speaking to your value, being purposely uncomfortable, finding your people at, at certain conferences, entrenching yourself in business meetings so that you're cross-disciplined, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're interdisciplined. What about relationships? Because that's all I hear. It's like, get a mentor, find a sponsor. That's a great, that's a great point. And I absolutely would agree. I have, um, I joined, there was a mentorship program that was offered at, at, at my company that was great. Um, and they intentionally paired people who were not in the same business area. So that was, that was helpful. But in my, and, and, and for many people, that is just what they need. Uh, my mentor and I are, are, we work very well together. But for, in, in my experience, what I found was really nurturing relationships that happened organically was something that, that tended to work better for me. So, for example, um, at one point, I reached out to the leader of HR and I asked about the work that she's doing on corporate boards because it it's something that is also on kind of a long-term goal list of mine. And in that, in the context of that, she offered to share more information with me about uh, how she got to that place and share resources. And developing that type of relationship about something that we're interested in was something that was really interesting and helpful and organic. And I also reached out to later to a leader in HR, and I, I said, you know, I'm really thinking that I'd like to do some uh, corporate. Uh, it's like a corporate, it's not corporate training. It's, it's essentially like growth training, coaching, I'm sorry, corporate coaching. I reached out to one of our leaders and just mentioned that I think I'd like to do some corporate coaching. And she mentioned that she was getting certified as a corporate coach. And she said, you know, I have to do a certain number of hours. Would you consider letting me be your coach? It was fantastic. And we met regularly <laughs> and got, you know, Amazing. and it, would, it wouldn't have happened had I not brought it up with her. But I will say with respect to finding those advocates that will um, really pull for you behind the scenes, a lot of that, in my experience, comes from building trust by helping people in situations, help them find solutions in situations where they don't know that there's a solution. So being a creative problem solver has probably helped me more than anything, because when a leader has a challenge and I say, okay, let's talk about that. And then am able to think about some ideas outside of the box and bring that to them. That experience is something that I have found will have them advocating for me behind the scenes. So that doesn't always feel good though, because it means that we have to exercise that muscle of being confident because a lot of times we, women will have that, have an idea and wonder, gosh, I wonder if that makes sense. Or what if, um, what if that, what if that, what if they don't like that idea, that imposter syndrome, but really getting to a place where you can um, kind of tap, tap out that imposter syndrome and say your ideas and, and help create a solution that, others may, you know, that collectively is going to solve the problem I have found has, has helped create the best advocates for me. 
So having goals, you're like, well, I set a goal for myself and then it kind of comes to me, you know, organically. But the first thing that you actually did was you set a goal and it was bigger than where you were now or at the time. And then, you know, you're not afraid of the problem. Every, everybody is afraid of the problem. Everybody sitting around the table doesn't know how to solve it. Otherwise, it would have already been solved. So you're saying that it's a little surreal when you're trying to problem solve at first. But on the other side of being uncomfortable and being uncertain is more capability, more confidence, and, and everyone can see your value. But it takes courage first. Absolutely. And it also takes um, being intentional about coming from a place of yes or coming from a place of how can I help you get to your end game as opposed to clients um, and colleagues seeing, thinking that you're coming from a place of no. That's something that for lawyers in particular, pe- people can think, oh, no, I do not want to go to legal because they're just going to tell me I can't do this. Right. <laughs> so what I've learned is I've okay. never thought. that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So <laughs> what I've learned is asking, OK, so I understand that you want to do this, but let me ask, what is your ultimate goal? Oh, okay. So that's your ultimate goal. Well, let me just say that this path is not legal, but I have an idea about another path to get you to your ultimate goal. That is, I have found that works wonders. No, that won't work, but this will. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. Amazing. So Shania, I think now is a great time for a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Did you know? Women only have about 15% share of the voice distributed by main media. Last year, only 21% of top charting podcasts had a female host. This is because we need more ratings and reviews. We need you. This is the only time we'll ever ask you to stop listening. Hit the pause button. Take the time right now to rate and review us. Help us change the stats. That way, we can be here when you're ready to listen again. My guest today is Mrs. Shania Kirkland. Shania, you mentioned that you like to prioritize your wellness, and I heard you talking about strengthening muscles, so I know you must work out. What do you think is best for self-care? Well, it's interesting. I have cultivated a self-care regimen that, over the years, that got completely disrupted and thrown out the window when the pandemic happened. And I found myself reeling. (laughs) So I was, I'm an early riser and I had my, my gym that I loved where I would, you know, go regularly. It was my safe space. um, And it was wonderful. And then to not be able to do that was challenging. But so I quickly pivoted and figured out some ways to address that. And over time has, have created my own space here. Uh, in my in my home where I um, can have that time to to have my workout, my regular workout and things like that. But in addition, I have really more recently incorporated meditation um, and I've created, I've realized that, that there is a special time of day that is mine. It is a time where my whole house is asleep. Uh, I, I, where I wake up at 5.15 or 5.30, I sit down, I have a cup of coffee. I write down, really reflect on 
what I'm grateful for. I reflect on what I'm releasing today. What are the things that I am going to let go of today so that I can let in other things? What are the things I'm releasing? What are the things I'm letting in? It is such a great way to set intentions for the day. And then it's my time to go uh, work out in peace. (laughs) so, (laughs) So when the house wakes up, I like to say I'm like the army. I do more before 8 a.m. than most people do all day. When the house wakes up, I am my best self. And that that really works for me. You have two daughters. And now I'm like, okay, how does this woman do it all? You know, you're you're at work, you're developing people in the pipeline, you're excelling, and and you're awake before everyone gets up. You've already done your workout, you know, set the tone for the day. How did you manage to create this? Like, what is it a philosophy? Is it the fuel you're getting from passion? Well, you know, it took a while to get here, Dr. Carmen, after the pandemic. The pandemic was really hard. It was really hard on me. It was hard on my family. Um, But we, I, I say that, you know, I remind them, gosh, just think of where we are compared to a year ago. And um, so what I have done, and part of it, admittedly, you know, my kids have grown a little bit, of course, things I'm able to give them more responsibility. What I've done is really empowered them more, especially as it comes with respect to thought, thoughtful responsibilities, where I don't have to be the thinker about everything. Um, They're very, very smart. And and I've empowered them with... um, doing a lot of thinking about things and taking action that would normally be mine. So for example, um, if they have an appointment with their tutor and they need to push it back for a certain reason, okay, great. You can email your tutor and let them know. Copy me. They're old enough to be able to do that. And at first they looked at me like, wait, what? You want me to do what? But I have to just take things off my list that I don't have to do. And that, and they are much more independent for it. So, um, you know, empowering them with more thought responsibility demonstrates that I trust their judgment and that I trust them. Um, I've also just really focused on giving myself more grace. And um, while I set high goals for myself, there are days where, you know what, something that I really intended to have happen, it's just not going to happen. But guess what? That is okay, And I have to be okay with that. That's amazing. And and thank you for sharing your wonderful daughters with mine, by the way. I I agree with you in that philosophy of, okay, you can do this, you can do more, mm-hmm. and you can take responsibility for how and what you learn. And I think that that philosophy of parenting has helped my kids as well as me um, help, help us all get what we need. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I wonder what are some of the things you'd be willing to share that are important to let go of when we're offering ourselves grace? Uh, because we all think that we're the only ones thinking that. Mm-hmm. And it just gets hard sometimes. Absolutely. Well, some things that I find myself letting go of regularly uh, would be fear. Um, today, I, I will I write these things down. Today, I let go of fear. Today, I let go of doubting myself. Um, Today, I let go of um, falling into, uh, it's really one of my biggest, one thing that's really important to me over the years that I realized, especially in the pandemic, is setting boundaries with respect to my time 
So I have to let go of time crunchers. Um, and that can include people where I have to set boundaries with them. Um, I have to, I've, I have a piece of, <laughs> I have like a, a mantra in eyesight, reclaiming my time. So that means there are, when a, someone sends me a meeting request, I need to know what we're going to be talking about so I can determine if that is the best use of, use of my time. And if someone can't take the time to do that, then I can't take the time to be at the meeting. Um, but similarly, you know, so setting boundaries and expectations about my what I am taking on and being able to delegate or say to um, to someone, well, I can take this and why don't you take that? And we work concurrently, whereas in the past I would take everything and that just doesn't serve me well. Time is the only resource we can never get back. I love it that you've learned how it works for you to devote your time in the way your purpose is meant to be. Um, I wonder why it's so hard for us to give up some things. So when we're delegating and asking someone else to take on some responsibility, why is it so hard? Why is it a skill we have to learn by being overcommitted? That is a great question that I wish I had the answer for, because that's how I learned, was by, by being overcommitted and stretching myself way too thin, which in a way that was really just not healthy for me. And so I, I realized setting those boundaries and for myself is something that'll probably be a lifelong effort. And that's okay. I think it's important that we stop allowing women to learn the way you and I did through overcommitment and burnout. Um, I think that the current statistics are showing us that, that overcommitment is a rampant problem, maybe the same way COVID-19 is. So the last stat I saw, Shania, was 3 million people have dropped out of the American workforce, and that's disproportionately, of course, affecting black single moms. Mm -hmm. How do you think we should begin to address that level of burnout from what you know to be true for you? Well, I think there are several things we can do, and I can actually speak from data because I'm the co-chair of our company's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisory Board. And so if our goal, if a company has a goal to have a workforce that really exemplifies diversity, which brings forth diversity of thought, and from a, a bottom line perspective, diverse companies with diverse leadership make the most revenue, period. So that being said, if we, if, if we see that the data shows that women, particularly women in tech, are coming out of the workforce in larger numbers, what do we do about that in a thoughtful, creative way? Well, one thing we need to think about is pipeline and how are there ways for us to be thinking ahead to really capture the interest of women that are um, considering going into technology? How do we consider... How do we participate in helping women learn more about technology so that they may go in those fields? So that is more of a longer term strategy. But with respect to short term, shorter term, what are the things that speak to the needs of women? One thing that you're finding more and more companies do is offer um, um, dollars with respect to fertility. And as you have women, executive women, and you're looking for women in leadership, that's something that really speaks to them, to, that you would consider, that companies would consider paying for IVF and other types of fertility treatments. In addition, we know flexibility. Um, now, uh, a lot of companies are going to, regardless of what COVID does, people will be working from home or have the option. 
And that's something that's critical, the data shows, in order to attract uh, women, particularly women in technology. So it means being data-driven and also really being thoughtful about what what speaks to the, the needs of, of the, the demographic group that you seek. Shania, I just want to double back to the original reason I asked you onto the show, and that is, despite a global pandemic with everybody dropping out of the workforce in droves, you are rising. And I'm so happy to see my daughters will have someone like you at the top. I'm looking forward to what you do in the future. It's time for action steps for today. Wonderful. So with respect to action steps, um, as I look at the roadmap for my two daughters and the things that I really want to leave them with, um, there is a, a canvas that I have within iShot for me that demonstrates the things that I need to be reminded of regularly, that I need to remind myself. And I have something similar in their rooms as well for them to see. And it says, it's a note to self, and it says, I am strong, I am confident, I am powerful, I am abundant, I am brave, I am grateful, and I am enough. And so seeing that every day speaks to my soul a bit, and my hope is that it speaks to their souls, and it helps them strive for excellence. The other thing that I just think is really timely as we are approaching Black History Month, and I, I've been thinking about this a bit because I'll be speaking for, with my company about what Black History Month means to me, is one of my mantras. One of my mantras is, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. So when I give myself grace, I remind myself, okay, so this challenge has presented itself. I can do this. I know I can do this. My ancestors survived the Middle Passage. Many of them walked to freedom hundreds of miles. Certainly, I can do this. And those are some of the things that helped me in those difficult moments. Oh, my goodness. I have tears in my eyes. I'm such a crier. Being cognizant that you are providing us with the single most valuable resource, your time. I just want to thank you, Shania, for spending this time with me and for laying down your wisdom. Thank you, Dr. Carmen. I appreciate all of your work. It's such an honor and thrilled to be here. Thank you for listening to Hello Health Today. Please show your support by signing up to receive our newsletter. You can find the sign up at hellohealthtoday.com. If you're on your cell phone, please scroll all the way down the page. You can also support the show by sharing this episode with a friend who really needs it or providing a review. As always, action steps, contact information, and social handles are posted in the show notes. Until next time, remember, today is good. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. 
Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.